Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. It's still worthy of a clap. I wish she hadn't thrown that last thing in, but what are you going to do? Not everybody can be a Browns fan, the few, the proud. You know how they learn to count in Cleveland, don't you? 0-1, 0-2, I've heard all the jokes. I know you can't bring me down. It, <laughs> it is kickoff weekend, and so we're very, very excited. So go Browns, who won you know, the first quarter of their game today. Uh, and so we'll see how that goes. But, but also, it's very, very exciting as we think about kicking off kind of school schedule stuff. We can say go Cougs. Very well. Good win for them yesterday. Go Vandals. I'm going to say something that I may have never said before. Go Huskies. I have a kid who's now in a master's program at UW, and so I'm actually going to start rooting for them. But whatever team you support, this is kind of a neat week for us where we're going to take a break and walking through the book of Acts that we've been walking through to talk about kicking off, talk about fall ministries, because a lot of times we operate kind of on a school year schedule. Seems like a lot of people do that anyway. And so for us, we're, we're taking our break to talk about what we visited at the Connection Fair just a few weeks ago. If you remember, we're talking about getting in the game. The importance of being relationally connected. You've got to be connected to God, and then you want to be connected to one another. That's hugely important for us here at OCC. So we're going to spend time talking about that today because God values that for us. Each and every person here has a role that they should play. They should be connected somewhere. And so I just want to address what I know was a reality for me when I became a Christ follower and started attending a church. And I think it's honestly something a lot of us think about. We think, well, I don't know that I have anything to add. I don't know that I have anything to contribute to a group. Is it really that important that I would get involved? I kind of have that Groucho Marx syndrome. Do you remember Groucho's deal? It's like I wouldn't want to be part of any group that would have me because they'd have to lower the standards <laughs> to accept me in the group, right? We kind of think that way of ourselves, and we shouldn't. If we're Christ followers, we not only are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, but he's given us a unique gift. He's given us a spiritual gift that we're supposed to use, where we use that, that's the question. How do we find a place to plug in? And it could be a small group. It could be a Bible study. It could be a service opportunity. There's just tons of them. And, and I want to kind of dispel that notion. I think sometimes we think, well, groups are hard to join, right? Some groups are exclusive. And that's true. I mean, we live in a world that has gated communities and dues-paying organizations and private schools and country clubs. I get that. But groups in the church should not be hard to join. We don't want to have that feeling. You can go back to middle school or high school and you walk into the lunchroom and you see the cool kids table and you're like, well, I don't belong over there. No, in the church, all the groups should be the cool kids table. We're all in this together. That's why we read that verse out of Psalm 133, how, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. That's the thing that we're actually shooting for. So you're going to hear us talk about this a lot. Where you're supposed to get plugged in is really, really important. It's not so much, gosh, was I a first-round draft pick. We don't need to go into groups here at OCC with that mentality because truly there's not supposed to be any star players in the groups. One person's supposed to get the glory for every service opportunity for every group we have, and it's not me and it's not you. It's Jesus. He's the one who gets the glory. It's not our goal to be the, the star player in that group. And, and so in talking about this, because God exists in relationship, because God is a trinity, 
three in one, we are supposed to be in relationship. And so to, to do that today, to focus on that out of Scripture, I want us to look at a really specific small group that we see. And I don't know if we've ever thought about it as a small group, but if you grabbed an outline on your way in or if you have your Bible with you, join me in Mark chapter 3. And we're going to look at what is literally Jesus' small group. We know that he went and he handpicked a group of guys to be with him. And it wasn't like the NFL draft, because we're going to look at some of these guys, and none of these guys were first-round picks, right? None of these guys were seventh-round picks. None of these guys were Mr. Irrelevant. These guys didn't play college ball, right? These were not the guys that you would think would be in a cool small group that would last for 2,000 years. But Jesus went and picked them, and then they got in the game. And I think that's incredible. He formed a small group, and, and it was such a special small group, it's so endearing that they had a special name they called the Disciples. So they got really cool leather jackets and said Disciples on the back. No, they didn't. <laughs> the pink ladies. No, <laughs> the leather jackets didn't exist back then. They didn't put it on their cloaks. But, but they became a group that continued, right? They were all at the cool kids' table. But I, I really thought about this week as I was getting ready for this message, how much do we really know about the Disciples? Some of these guys we hear more about than others, right? And the reality is, if we're Christ followers, we're going to meet them one day. We're going to be up in heaven, and, and they're standing at the corner of divine and perfection is going to be Bartholomew, and I want to be able to walk up to him and go, dude, Bartholomew, right? <laughs> Man, nice job. Give him a pat on the backside. Good game. Way to be a disciple. We could have that opportunity. These are the guys who made up Jesus' small group. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. He wanted in the group, and they came to him. And he appointed 12. He also named them apostles. Why? So that they might be with him. He didn't pick these guys because they were the biggest and the fastest and the strongest, right? He didn't pick these guys because they had the best theological 40-yard dash time. He picked these guys so they could be with him. And he picked a particular number. He picked 12. And back in the day, that would have been really significant. All the Israelites would have got that, right? Because when God first introduced his plan for unity, when he first formed the nation of Israel, do you remember how many tribes there were? There were 12 tribes. And then this sinful world kind of brought that idea down. By the time Jesus is picking his small group, 10 of the 12 tribes are already gone. God's plan for relational connection, his plan for unity and community did not get off to a great start. So now he picks 12 disciples, kind of a reboot, honestly, for his connection plan. So he picks these 12 guys, and he doesn't go blue chip. He doesn't take the best player available. But we see in Scripture they're going to have huge responsibilities, just incredible responsibilities. Continue on in our passage. He was going to send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Ever think about what your role is going to be here at the church? Every role is going to be different, right? Not everybody's going to stand up here and preach, nor would most of you probably want to. Not everybody's going to run the sound booth, right? Not everybody's going to be in the gathering ground. Not everybody's going to join a rooted group. But where is your place? Where are you going to go do the things God has wired you to do? Jesus appointed these 12 guys. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, and he gave them a name as well, Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. That sounds cool. It's not really that cool. 
Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, our buddy, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, who in some lists is called by his first name Judas. He's Judas Thaddeus. And Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Why these 12 guys? Why did Jesus and others, we've talked about Peter quite a bit over the last few weeks. Peter, in all the list of the disciples in the Bible, is always mentioned first. He's truly the leader, right? And he does get a cool nickname. He's named The Rock, right? But a lot of times when we read about Peter in the Bible, it's not such a great picture. Peter did get to walk on water. We mentioned this a while back. But what happened? He took his eyes off Jesus and he sunk, just like his brand new nickname. He was truly The Rock, right? He was going down. Peter has these stories. He's the one that Jesus told him, literally, get thee behind me, Satan. There's a name you don't want to be called by Jesus, right? This is Peter. Because Peter was fighting with Jesus over the notion of Jesus going to the cross. Peter is the guy who, in the Garden of Gethsemane, picked up a sword and literally was going to try and cut a guy's head off. And he was so unathletic, he missed and cut off his ear. Like, how bad, how bad a miss is that, <laughs> And Jesus has to fix it because Jesus fixes all those things. Most famously, Peter brags, man, even if all those other guys desert you, not me, Jesus. I got your back. Then he denied knowing him three times. Now, we could spend a lot of time ganging up on Peter here because there's a lot to work with, right? But let me just ask this question. We ever stuck our foot in our mouth? We ever said something we wish we could take back? True story. I can't believe I'm telling this. Uh, <laughs> but I already told it in the nine, so it's out there. Standing in the Connection Center. This was a few years ago. Guy that I didn't know came up, introduced himself to me, and introduced a woman standing next to him by name. And that's all I said. Hey, here's her name. And I looked at him, and, and, and <laughs> I don't know what was going through my head. I said, is this your mother? Sister. <laughs> How do you pull your foot out of your mouth? <laughs> and, so, and so, like, there's room for me to grow, right? I don't ask stupid questions like that anymore. If there's room for me to grow, there's room for Peter to grow, right? Sometimes we say things we wish we wouldn't, wouldn't have said, but that doesn't disqualify us from ministry. I identify with Peter in lots of ways. This just means there's room for us in the group. After Peter, there's two brothers, James and John. And again, we get that idea of the cool nickname, the Sons of Thunder. That literally means the Sons of Anger. These guys are just hotheads. They do not excel at self-discipline, right? And they display it often throughout the Gospels. One time when the disciples are traveling through a Samaritan village, and remember the Jews and the Samaritans did not play well together, and James and John noticed that the Samaritans were kind of being standoffish. And that offended them. And you remember what they did? They went to Jesus and said, hey, what do you think, big guy? You want to call some fire down from heaven? Let's roast these guys, right? That, that's how angry they are. Let's fire them up for not being welcoming to us. And Jesus has to talk them down because <laughs> they have anger issues. Another time, there was somebody who was not one of the disciples out doing good works, actually delivering oppressed people in Jesus' name. And John sees this, and he gets so competitive. John, who becomes the apostle of love, right, he sees it and he tries to shut it down because he thought other people out doing good things would make the disciples look bad. And then he went to Jesus and said, hey, man, I saw somebody doing something, but he wasn't with us, so I shut it down. Good idea, right? Jesus, Jesus is like, no, <laughs> whoever is not against us, they're for us. They're trying to join me in ministry. Let's not be shutting those things down. 
Because it's not about us anyway, Jesus says, right? It's always about God's glory. That competitive thing came up with John a lot. And he really seemed to have kind of this ongoing competition with Peter. I don't know if you remember that after Jesus was resurrected and the two disciples raced to the tomb with Peter and John. They were in a foot race literally to see who would get there first. These are the first two draft picks for the small group, by the way. One point in time, Jesus directly tells Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to die to yourself in order to live for me, as all Christ followers must do. Do you remember what Peter said? He pointed at John. He said, what about him? (laughs) Like if bad stuff's going to happen to me, I sure hope it happens to him. That's Peter and John. They're in the small group together. They don't have much relational connection at the start, but what happens by the third year they're in the group? Jesus knows he's going to the cross very soon, and it's time for the Passover meal. And do you remember this? Jesus sent Peter and John. He said, you guys go. You make preparations for us to eat Passover. It's like servanthood 101. How are you going to learn to serve? By serving your small group. Start serving there, and you'll start to pick this up, right? And then right after the resurrection, what do we see? Now it's Peter and John going to the temple together. They're not competing anymore. They're going to go and pray. They're doing life together. You remember we studied this early in the book of Acts. A guy comes up, a a crippled guy. He asks them for money. Peter and John don't have money to give. Do you remember what they said? Peter was the spokesman. He was the leader. He said, we don't have any silver or gold. Let me tell you what we do have. A relational connection with Jesus and with one another. And they prayed for this lame guy and he was healed. And Peter and John start going around just boldly praying about how powerful God is. And the religious leaders did not like that. This is Acts chapter 4. We walked through this not so long ago. The religious authorities kind of took inventory of what was going on. And they saw the passion. And they saw the courage of Peter and John. And do you remember what they said about these two guys in particular? This is Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now, when these religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they're just uneducated, common men, it says they were astonished and they recognized what was different about these guys. Peter and John had been with Jesus. Church family, what makes us special? It's not anything about us. It's about being with Jesus. I think it's funny, the Greek word that is translated as common here is the word idiotes. <laughs> Any idea what English word we get from that one? That's what Peter and John were. They're just a couple of idiots. They're a couple of knuckleheads. And Jesus wanted them in his group. These ordinary guys joined the group and started to grow, started to change. And the evidence is all over God's word. We just looked at this in Acts chapter 8. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, of all places, had received the word of God, they sent, you remember who they sent? Peter and John. John, who earlier wanted to rain fire down on Samaria, now he's going out of love. That was the old John, right? This is new and improved John. He is all in. He's going to risk his life to tell others about the love of Jesus. This guy with the anger issues. But he was drafted into Jesus' small group, and everything changed. You ever look at yourself in the mirror and say, there's no way I could do that. I have anger issues. 
true story, when Christina and I got married, I was a little older. I'm five years older than her. And we were talking about starting a family, and, and she wanted to kind of start right away. And I was scared to start a family because of my anger issues. I thought, I'm not going to be able to raise a kid because I'm going to spank him or, or something like that. God allowed us to have four kids and raise them and follow in the Lord. God can use anybody. <laughs> Look at the guys in this small group. Peter, James, John, they're the inner circle. They're the first three. Then there's Andrew. And this is funny to me because Andrew is always listed fourth, right? But he's actually the disciple who Jesus met first. And Andrew, every time we see him in Scripture, almost all the time, he's listed as Simon Peter's brother. Peter gets all the press. Andrew was the first guy to see Jesus. We actually saw that back in John chapter 1. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, in case you forgot, right? Andrew first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And there's Andrew in the back going, hey, hey, big guy, hey, remember I met you first. You have a cool nickname for me? No. That wasn't Andrew's deal. He wasn't competitive like that. He wasn't Jan Brady with Marsha. I lost a lot of you younger people. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Google it. You'll find it. But, but, but Andrew wasn't that guy, right? He didn't get competitive that way. What was in his DNA was just to bring people to Jesus. That's what you see him doing all the time in the Gospels. Andrew literally goes and gets Peter and says, you've got to come meet this guy. Andrew is the one, do you remember at the feeding of the, the multitudes? Andrew's the one who found the little kid with the sack lunch. Hey, there's a little dude with a couple fish and a couple loaves. And what does he do? He takes him to Jesus. And 20,000 people get fed. That's a good role to have in a small group. Just be the person who points other people to Jesus. Then there's Philip. Philip was also from the town of Bethsaida. That's the same hometown as the two sets of brothers, James and John. Peter and Andrew were from Bethsaida. So you got five guys who are kind of townies. What kind of dynamic does that create in a group? You ever seen that before? Have you ever done that? Have you ever invited like somebody to a small group and it meets in your home and you forget, hey, everybody in my small group knows where my house is. <laughs> everybody in my small group knows they can walk into the kitchen and get something out of the refrigerator. They all have assigned seats, right? We have inside jokes. And then you invite this new person and they don't know any of that. Do we remember to make those new people, those new couples feel welcome? That's really, really important. It was good that these people in Jesus' small group were from different areas. They had to learn those things. Back to our list. I, I wish we had more time to deal with every one of these guys. There's a guy we're pretty familiar with, not from Bethsaida, the disciple Thomas. Thomas is kind of famous. Why? Because he doubted everything. You ever wonder why he doubted everything? He wasn't from Bethsaida. He was likely from a, a very humble family origin in Galilee. And the thing that we know about Thomas, a lot of times he's mentioned in Scripture, he was a twin. Do you remember that? John chapter 11, verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, let us also follow Jesus so that we may die with him. Thomas was also the motivational speaker for the group. <laughs> Hands in on three, we're following Jesus. One, two, three, death, woo, right? That was Thomas's role in the group. But it says here he's a twin. And today we hear that and we go, oh, that's cool, right? If we know somebody who has twins, well, that's a great blessing, right? Growing your family really big. Back in the day, that was not the case. 
Back in the day, babies weren't born in hospitals. It was not the safest thing. You had a midwife and you're out in a field. And so regular childbirth was kind of dangerous. Multiple childbirth was really, really dangerous. If you actually had multiple kids, it was considered bad luck back in the day. The circumstances would often result in the death of the mother or the child or often both. Here's what we do know. If both children did survive, do you remember in the ancient times, the first one got the birthright? So the, first, the one that came out first was the more impressive, right? There's only two sets of twins mentioned in the Old Testament. Do you remember this? Jacob and Esau. We know that didn't play out well. And then there's Perez and Zerah. If you read Genesis 38, they literally fought in their mother's womb to be the first to come out. If you're not squeamish, you can read it. I don't like reading that stuff. There's not a lot of twins mentioned in the Bible. Thomas was a twin. Now, maybe the reason we don't hear a lot about him was back in the day, a lot of times if a mother did have twins, the second would just be left to die. They would die of exposure. So the first child out got the cool family name. You were expecting a child. You had a name already for that child. The second one would be named Thomas because that name means twin. The Aramaic word Talma is where we get the name Thomas. It just means twin. In the Greek, Thomas is sometimes called Didymus. Why? Didymus means twin. So the first child got the really cool family name. The second one is just named twin, right? Be like having twin boys today, and you name the first one Pete and the second one Repeat. If you had girls, it could be Kate and Duplicate. I'll be here all week. Thank you. But, but have you ever wondered why Thomas has the doubting DNA? Maybe it's because he doubted anybody wanted him around. Jesus wanted him around. Jesus picked him for a small group. So if we're like Groucho Marx and, and we don't think we should be part of the group, just remember, we couldn't have joined Jesus' group. He was so inclusive. He wanted these people. He wanted that relational connection. He wanted them. Another guy named Simon. Again, I might have left him out just because it's too confusing to have all the double names. It's confusing in our day and age. But we were sitting here for an annual meeting in this room a couple years ago. I can't remember how many. And it was so funny. Wesley Schwartz was up here giving the children's ministry update. And there were three guys that were sitting right here, side by side by side, all named Scott. <laughs> and Wes stopped. He's like, Scott, Scott, Scott. And those guys are still in the church today. It's confusing sometimes. You say Scott, and we don't know which one. Here's another guy named Simon. And so to try and make this a little easier so he wouldn't be, you know, confused with Simon Peter, he's given a nickname as well. He's Simon the Zealot. Jury's out on whether that's a good nickname or not. Back in the day, the Zealots were a group of people who were very zealous for the law of Israel. And they actually became kind of a political party dedicated to overthrowing Rome by violence. That's kind of the connotation we have today. We hear somebody is zealous, and we go, ah, I bet they kind of go overboard, right? Well, the zealots hated the Romans. They hated being occupied by Rome. They especially hated the Roman soldiers. There was only one group of people they hated worse than the Romans, and that was the tax collectors. So, of course, Jesus invited Matthew into his small group because Matthew was a tax collector. There's no way Jesus isn't doing this on purpose. He's putting this group together, and he's pushing all these relational buttons. Lots of people actually disliked tax collectors. Tax collectors were Israelites who got rich by selling out their own people, right? They wound up colluding with the Roman government to tax their own people. So Simon the Zealot gets drafted right alongside Matthew, 
because Jesus is funny <laughs> and sovereign over all things. And he picked him knowing he was going to sit back and watch them try and get along. Jesus is going, let's see how these guys do together. Simon the Zealot had trouble accepting people. In one instance, he's there and he's watching, and Jesus gets approached by a Roman centurion, Roman soldier, right? And Jesus agrees to help the guy out. He's in a really tough spot. And Jesus says this to the Roman soldier, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And you know Simon the Zealot in his background going, Come on, man. Jesus, you know this is my story. Are we joining so we can be more like Jesus? So we can die to ourselves and learn to serve and use our Holy Spirit giftedness. You may be praying right now about joining a rooted group, joining a Bible study, joining a service opportunity and going, ah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it probably will. That's not such a bad thing. <laughs> that can be a really, really good thing. You may go out to the gathering grounds and, and serve with somebody you're like, well, I don't even know that I would like that person. And God may make you the best of friends because <laughs> God can do that kind of thing. Likely, wherever we serve, there may be someone we don't see eye to eye with. Will we follow Jesus and establish relational connection? Are we going to put our foot down like we talked about a couple weeks ago? No way, Jesus. No way I could join a group like that because Jesus, he learned how to get along with the people in the group. I think it's amazing. There's more disciples. There's another one named James. Too many double names. So the, the second James, he's not the brother of John. He's a different James. He gets a nickname sometimes. He's James the Less. That's a bad nickname. There's no, no two ways about that at all. You don't want to be the Less. There's another double name character. We didn't catch it here. There's a guy named Thaddeus. I mentioned several of the lists call him Judas Thaddeus. He asked Jesus a really important question as Jesus was coming the end of his life, he went to Jesus. He said, when are you going to tell everybody? Right now, you've just been telling us, right? When are you going to tell everybody you're the Messiah? When are you going to tell everybody you came for all of Israel? But Jesus sees hearts, and he knows what was behind Judas Thaddeus' question. Judas was really asking, when are we going to be powerful? Like, when are you going to become a political leader and then overthrow Rome, and then we'll get you know, seats really high on the, the political hierarchy? When are we going to become those guys? And Jesus has to tell him, and he tells these guys over and over again, hey, guys, I'm not headed to a crown. I'm headed to a cross. Praise the Lord. Finally, Jesus' small group starts to get that concept. And we see this the day before Jesus is going to the cross. The small group is observing the Passover meal. And we hear again from Judas, not that Judas. You'd hate to be that Judas. Every time somebody goes, are you Judas? Not that Judas, right? Not the guy who betrayed Jesus. But Thaddeus says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? You know that old saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Have you heard that? There are some <laughs> idiotic <laughs> questions. But Jesus, the great thing is, he doesn't go, well, that's a stupid question, Thaddeus. What does he do? He points him back to the things that are really important. Quit thinking about power. He says, thinking about salvation. Quit thinking about you guys being in charge. Start thinking about spreading the gospel. Start thinking, what are we going to do if we're leading a small group and we get one of those weird questions? How will we artfully <laughs> direct those people back to what really matters? Those are the things that we want to learn and grow, just like Jesus' small group learned and grew. Next is our friend Bartholomew. We don't know much about him. We do know bar was the Hebrew word for son. You see lots of 
bars in Scripture. And this literally probably meant then son of the furrows. So Bartholomew was a guy who likely left land at some point in time. Like he might have come from a really rich family, had a land-owning family. And so he had to leave those guys to follow Jesus. And you start wondering, is he ever in the group going, what have I done? Why did I leave all that security? Why did I leave my family to follow this guy? Do you remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 19? He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Did Jesus throw that in just for Bartholomew? who used to have land. One more disciple to mention. We all know this one. Judas Iscariot. Why do we know him? The reason nobody names their kid Judas anymore. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a betrayer. He's a name of infamy. Hold on just a second, Pastor James. That guy gets to join the small group too? Yeah, Jesus picked him. Jesus wanted him to be in the group because relational connection is that important. And it's Jesus that made the small group great, not the members, right? I was hoping. You're kind of rooting for Judas that he would pull through. He'd be so impacted by being with Jesus that he'd become a better man. That wasn't part of God's plan. I do know this for sure. When I recognize that I'm with Jesus, I'm a better man. I'm a better man when my wife's in the room. Like like if I know somebody's checking me, I'm a better man when my dogs are in the room. We have to remember Jesus is watching all the time. I'm living over here in in the parsonage, and I was walking onto campus the other day, and I I had kind of back-to-back phone calls with some bad news, and I was really frustrated, and I I have anger issues, and God has helped me immensely with that. But, but like, I really wanted to cuss. (laughs) Like, I I was in that spot. I was like, I still know the words, you know. But (laughs) I just went, you know, I just made a loud noise, and I looked over, and two staff folks are standing on the front step, and I was like, how great would that have been if I dropped (laughs) you? Do we remember people are looking at us and, and we're wanting to have these relational connections? Well, God's watching us all the time. I wish that things had turned out differently for Judas. But again, groups we're in, other. And if we do that, we'll be joining God on the purpose and mission and vision statements he's given us here at the church. We stole those straight from Scripture. I love Matthew tells us. And when they saw Jesus, this is the resurrected Jesus coming back, they worshiped him, but some doubted, and now we know who. And it was probably more than just Thomas because this is a big deal. And Jesus came to these guys and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus shows up. He says, all right, guys, here's your goal. Go. Go into the world. Proclaim the good news. Share the gospel. Tell people about my presence and death and resurrection. Teach people to obey everything I've taught you. Baptize them. I'm going to be with you. He says, I'm sending you out, and it's not just going to be you and them. It's going to be you and them and me. I'm always going to be the head of the triangle. You don't have to do this by yourself. Praise the Lord. Do we understand, church, how much the world is dying for that? If we were all transparent, if we weren't all hiding behind our phones and technology, we are so hungry for relationships. And they're dying. They're starving for relationships. I think in this fallen world that we live in, that's what people long for. They long for that relational connection. 
We see this all around the world. We see discord. We see disunity. We'd all benefit greatly from having a community with us that was pointing us to Jesus. Yes, as our Savior, for sure, that's most important. But then as our guide, as our leader in getting connected with one another. And that way, when we run into the, the violence we see in this world, and we see it all over, there's political violence and religious violence and racial violence and domestic violence because we live in this fallen world. And then we can remember, but Jesus had that small group. How good and pleasant it is to be involved with people like that, even in the midst of all the chaos in this world because God is not a God of chaos. He's God of order. And here he ordered together a group of idiotes, <laughs> of really ordinary people, which means it's available for me and for you. God's plan is for all of us to be connected. So here at kickoff weekend, I'm just going to ask you, if you're not connected somewhere here at OCC or in a faith family somewhere, then get connected. There's a group, there's a service opportunity that's right for you. It may be uncomfortable, but that's okay. I bet Jesus' small group was pretty uncomfortable too. <laughs> but he started this group 2,000 years ago with some of the most unlikely guys ever. They were not first-round draft picks, right? They were not blue-chip prospects. They were some chronic mess-ups. The Sons of Thunder, big-time doubter, had a little click stuff going on. Somebody's forgotten kid brother, guys who didn't get along with each other, traitors, deceivers. What are the odds 2,000 years later here on the other side of the world, that we would still be being impacted by this group, that it would continue to grow. And here we are. And you could become part of that movement today. If you're a Christ follower and you're not part of a group, today could be the day you join into a group and you start living that life together. And that is what will help us accomplish the purpose and the mission and the vision that God has given us. You've got a place in there. I guarantee it. Amen. God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Father God, help us. Help us to figure out where you want us to get connected. Not if we're supposed to. I think that matter is settled. God, where you want us to connect. Maybe you're calling us to, to something that seems like it's so much beyond anything that we could do on our own. Well, that'd be great. Then we'd have to lean in on you. God, maybe you're calling us into a group of someone you're like, well, I've never really gotten along with that person. And maybe it's because you don't really know that person. Maybe that person's struggling in an area where you could walk alongside them and encourage them. Or they might be a phenomenal encouragement to you. You just don't know. Are we willing to try? Jesus put together this ragtag group of guys that didn't have a whole lot of similarities and used them to change the world. God, will you use us here at OCC to join you in ministry to start changing this valley to change the world? God, we love you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care and God bless.